From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, April 9th, and you're listening to the Macrocast. Uh, Tony Frado here with Hamilton Place Strategies, John Fagan, Brennan Walsh with Markets Policy Partners. Uh, guys, we had a you know, weird start to the Friday today with uh, the delayed release of um, uh, the PPI report from uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. Their website was down. Uh, this was a highly anticipated PPI report, as much as a PPI report can be highly anticipated. But this one, you know, people looking for, uh, everyone looking for clues uh, about uh, inflation and the d- debate as to whether it's temporary or not. As, uh, as uh, Chairman Powell repeated yesterday, um, you know, belief is that we're going to see a temporary bout of inflation, but now we're seeing it. And we certainly saw it in the PPI report this morning, didn't we? Eventually. But, but wouldn't it be more concerning if we didn't get inflation coming out of a pandemic? <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, not just coming out of the pandemic, but coming out of the, the you know, what we know are, uh, you know, a flood of a flood of money into the economy, plus uh, certain supply uh, shocks uh, as, as people, you know, as we as we. Uh, uh, we have the rolling vaccinations and people are, are you know, I mean, the vaccinations, I say rolling, they're roaring now. Like roaring, yeah. You know, the, 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 it is a very, very high clip. But it's not, um, you know, it's certainly not the case around the world. I mean, um, uh, the, no, we had um, once with an Aussie friend and Australia can't get the vaccine because they bought it from Europe and Europe won't send it to them. Yeah, I know of um, companies that are, flying their, you know, some senior officials to the United States to get uh, to get the vaccine because they can't get it in their home countries, which is to say, though, that uh, it's an uneven uh, vaccine distribution. And we know that the macro economy is so tightly uh, bound to the, uh, uh, you know, vaccination rates uh, uh, right now, even anticipating it and uh, vaccination rates, um, you know, people are returning back to normal and becoming sort of, uh, you know, now supercharged uh, economic actors, but that's not the case everywhere. And so, uh, you know, so we're going to see, you know, high demand, but even uneven availability of all kinds of, uh, of all kinds of things, uh, whether they're, uh, you know, semiconductors or components or certain products come that uh, rely on production in parts of the world that uh, are not as far along in their uh, in their vaccination rates. So, so, Tony, do you know if we have plans to send the once we're all vaccinated? I know China is using the vaccine as a, a form of diplomacy. Are, mm-hmm. are we trying to do the same thing? We have committed uh, to do the same thing. I'm, I'm disappointed in our um, in our in what we're uh, you know we're not doing it. We're not you know we're not uh, um, uh, sharing enough and in, in certainly not in any strategic way and that's a problem for I, I think there are ethical problems to that um, uh, there are certainly economic problems to that as well the, the, the effectiveness in um, reducing the spread of the disease um, uh, is uh, is going to have economic consequences but it's also going to have consequences for the eventual spread of the disease as well so yeah and uh, mutations could happen and then 
maybe this vaccine that we have isn't it doesn't work usable right it's this is one of the it's, it's, it's if it's raging somewhere then there's a greater likelihood of having mutations of it. So that's why you want to try yeah, to. Yeah, and we know it's raging in India, it. which has yeah. a billion people. Raging there, there, you know, we've seen. In Brazil too, yeah. Already in Brazil, and Brazil's in a very, very bad shape, a place I know very well. I, uh, in normal times, travel there once or twice a year and, uh, and uh, care about that country quite a bit because it's in a very difficult place right now but so it, it's not just the uh, sort of you know normal use but the, you know the u.s government is also sitting on a stockpile of something like 20 million doses of uh astrazeneca uh vaccines which we have n- not approved for use so we are not using them canada and mexico uh, have approved them for use and, uh, you know, at the very least, it would be in our interest to share it with our two major trading partners. And uh, no, we're never going to use AstraZeneca. We don't need it and people won't trust it. So, wh- yeah. Why? Why are we sending on it? Why aren't we sending yeah. it to Mexico? It's a it's it's really disappointing. Yeah. And it's, it's going to slow down uh, the, the, you know, the broader global economic recovery. Now, you know, World Economic uh, Outlook from the IMF and the World Bank uh, this week is still predicting a. Um, a very large boost to the global economy of uh, they, they, they up their expectation for 2021 to 6%. Um, but that is largely driven by uh, what we're seeing in China and the United States yeah. uh, as two giant anchors. The other countries will, uh, will rebound as well as the year goes on. Europe, eventually, as they step up distribution, will rebound um, and other countries will follow. So, they're, you're going to see, you know, so that's a 6% global growth. We're expecting something on the order of 8% growth in the United States. Um, you know, China's going to have very substantial recovery. And um, so you're going to have like, you know, some very big economies doing very, very well, but some other, uh, you know, large economies around the world still struggling. India, actually, I think even, even though uh, the pandemic is so raging in India, India is going to have a very strong year as well. Yeah, that's one of the one of the key aspects uh, about these forecasts. The Fed has said it, and global policymakers have emphasized that. You know, in the past, you might make policy and in anticipation of some of these forecasts coming true if you have a relatively high conviction. And clearly, there's a relatively high conviction in the U.S. rebound here. But from the Fed to the ECB to uh, other global economic policymakers, they've all spoken largely with the same voice saying, we're not going to make policy this time in anticipation of our forecasts. We need to see it. We're not making policy based on a dotted line or uh, extrapolation or what we think is coming. We need to actually have it be in reality in front of us. And, uh, and not only that, and, and this is a, something that they've brought up, particularly with reference to the inflationary picture. Even if you get this temporary transitory uh, boost in inflation, surge of growth, policymakers will not just be, you know, absorbing what they're they're currently seeing, but also trying to cast ahead to the post-surge kind of environment when things settle down and normalize and you come past 
some of the base effect distortions that we're going to be seeing, some of the initial rush out to uh, to go out to your favorite restaurant again, which is something that Brendan and I did last night uh, mm-hmm. and uh, sat outside and had an, uh, an enjoyable uh, blast from the past and, uh, and, a, and a pleasant return. Uh, but that's, you know, that is going to be something that is, does play through and, you know, real economic the real economic baseline is is going to be behind, uh, you know, behind these months of, of excitement and enthusiasm. Uh, and, and this is going to be, of course, rolling out across the globe as vaccine distribution rates uh, expand and, and distribution grows in some of the places where it's, it's lagging right now, like Europe, like uh, emerging markets. It's a very unprecedented kind of global growth picture. And policymakers are in a you know very Hippocratic oath, do no harm uh, approach to it. It's it's a you know they've got a very credible story about transitory inflation, and it gives them the justification to sit and wait. Uh, but you know markets aren't convinced that the Fed is really going to hold to its its uh, you know patience. How do you think? Uh, th- th- I've been. Uh, a, a report like today uh, factors in that. I mean, we'll you know we'll we'll see what market uh, you know market reaction is. The futures moved a bit, but um, you know market was uh, market expectations were for at around 0.4 percent um, headline right 0.4. We got one percent, and then core was 0.7. Um, so you know uh, exceeding exceeding expectations uh, pretty solidly. You get the feeling this is like, um, you know, the, the, you know, the Fed is the Fed in every opportunity is telling people, look, it, like you're going to see it, it's coming. We're going to power through it and then it's going to be okay. It, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, you know, the, the space capsule reentering the, uh, you know, the atmosphere It's like, you're going to go through this, you know, make sure the heat shields work, right. You're going to go through it. And, but don't panic about, um, you know, going through that, you know, when you're a fiery ball uh, because uh, you're going to get through into the atmosphere and it's going to be OK. But you can imagine how easy it would be to panic when you're a fiery ball. And if we're a fiery ball for the next for the next year of uh, you know inflation at levels that we haven't seen in a generation, um, you know, it's, it, it's going to test the discipline of both the Fed and the market to not do anything about it, right? To not go and, um, you know, not, not, not pressure uh, rates higher. And, uh, and so this is, uh, this is an experiment. Yeah, but it's going to be the way you described it, I think is really important when you said generation, because it, 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 this is a, it's a sociological experiment too. We, we have a large percentage of, Americans that have not just Americans, but the world that have never experienced high inflation. Yeah, when I was um, when I, you know when I was uh, a, a young economics student, and uh, you know, and, and and my fresh textbooks, you know, we're all talking about inflation that all of us had experienced by looking outside the window and going to the store, you know. Yep. And uh, and so it, so it was a it was a thing that we were very very familiar with, and we knew our parents, you know, had uh, you know were were buying homes uh, <clears throat> uh, with uh, you know interest rates, uh, you know, double digit interest rates, and you know this generation of of 
of people. In fact, you guys probably, you know, it was a historical yeah. artifact. I was born in the late seventies. So I never really, yeah. I, I, I was born when we got control of inflation. Yeah. I, I remember asking during the Carter years, I remember watching our black and white TV and there was a news segment on inflation and it was showed, you know, shoppers with their brows furrowed with concern in the aisle of a supermarket. And I remember dashing out to my parents in the kitchen and saying, what is this inflation that seems to be yeah. haunting supermarkets? It was and an, uh, I was, it I was worried that one. I might get jumped by inflation the next time my mom took me to the stop and shop. But uh, <laughs> it was a, it was sure a I, really big deal. And not just, not just that, like for a bunch of uh, economic eggheads, it was, it was very real and in supermarkets and gas stations and gas stations, you know, the oil shock, but yep. you, know, you had uh, the Nixon administration, you know, uh, imposed price controls. You had the Ford administration with its uh, wacky uh, whip inflation now, you know, win, whip inflation <laughs> now buttons and uh, its efforts to try to, uh, uh, to try to uh, tamp down inflation. Um, and of course, it wasn't conquered until uh, Paul Volcker, um, you know, broke its back with by by in, by um, uh, instilling the credibility in the Fed to do whatever it takes and to be, you know, in the face of fierce attacks well, and that, a recession. That Volcker credibility, that bedrock credibility of the of the Fed as an inflation fighter is still with us. And yeah. that is, you can see on a day like today, you don't want to put too much stock in one day's price action, but we've seen this again and again, a hot inflation number. What happens in the markets? The dollar jumps, treasuries sell off, yields go up, futures markets pull forward their expectation for the first Fed rate hike. The, uh, you know, equities are supposed to be an inflation hedge. Equities sell off, gold sells off, this is a reaction not to the market is predominantly reacting to what they think the Fed's reaction is right. going to be to inflation, which is if inflation is hot, they're going to taper their bond purchases earlier and they're going to pull that first rate hike from 2024. The median is going to creep into 2023 and soon enough we'll see it you know, knocking on the door of 2022, which is just where the futures market is kind of on the cusp of pricing that first rate hike. The Fed has so much credibility built up as an inflation fighter, and they've been trying to tamp that down with their current messaging, but the market just doesn't believe them. So when you see this, you know, the reaction to inflation has been, you know, inflationary trades kind of going in reverse. So and we've seen that with, you know, you bring up the 70s oil prices, oil prices hit a high of 70, you know, Brent was up to $70 a barrel, it's down 62 and it's selling off again today. Yeah, it's just the dollars. The dollar is higher. It's hard to get, you know, it's hard to get through this. The market reaction is actually pushing against the inflationary pressures. But, but the dollar is a really good point. It's really hard to have runaway inflation if the dollar is not significantly weakening. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and it, and, it, and that is a and it's not just reflective of the U.S. economy, right? It's it's uh, right. If we're thinking about the dollar. We're we're thinking about it relative to um, the the pace of growth in in other uh, economies around the world. And uh, yeah, and, and goes back to the vaccine and also our stimulus. We, we're spending a lot of money. <laughs> we're spending a lot of money, and 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 um, and a lot of it is resulting in you know in obviously an asset inflation. Um, and you need, and if, but if you want to partake in that, um, you got to buy dollars to do it. 
So that's, uh, that makes, it makes inflation really hard to generate. No, it's an important point because so much time we, we talk about the dollar, we, we think of it's people trading it, but that, that's not really what drives a dollar. It's corporations that just have to exchange, you know, you, you buy things in the US, so you have to get dollars. Yeah, either you're either gonna buy you're gonna buy something, or, but if you're gonna buy any kind of asset here, right? If you want to buy mm-hmm. an apartment in New York City or uh or or you know GameStop or whatever it is, <laughs> Yeah, these look. I mean, they're like all of these. All of these markets matter, right? Um, but you have to trade your euro, whatever else, into uh, dollars in order to do that. And and I mean, look, that's why you always, you know, you always want to be an attractive uh, destination for investment. There's, there's, you know, there are dollar traders out there too, and we know that, uh, you know, the dollar is used. Uh, as a medium of exchange around the world between countries that have nothing to do with the dollar. It's just easy, you know, it's easier to trade. It's easier to con- conduct your transactions in the dollar than it is to uh, exchange, um, you know, um, you, you know, uh, uh, maybe, you know, I mean, major- B. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're trying to do something about that with the digital renminbi. We'll see though. But maybe this is a good time to take a break. But when we come back, Tony, I want to talk to you about the proposal to uh, for to pay for this infrastructure spending and especially with the international uh, tax uh, minimum rate. Definitely. Let's come back and get into that. You're listening to the Macrocast. Markets Policy Partners provides sophisticated financial market analysis that is independent, accessible and actionable for a broad audience. Learn more at marketspolicy.com or visit them on Twitter at marketspolicy. Back on the macro cast, uh, guys, you know, uh, the uh, uh, Biden administration rolling out its um, infrastructure plan and, you know, it's, uh, you know, a couple trillion dollars worth of uh, um, spending and a lot of debate on whether, um, you know, what is in it is or is not infrastructure and what share of it is actually like the traditional kinds of infrastructure we think about uh, on uh, uh, as, uh, you know, surface transportation kinds of things. Um, You have electric grid in there, you have uh, electric vehicles, you also have things like uh, home care for the elderly and uh, uh, schools and a lot of other things. Congress will debate uh, the composition of the spending side of it, but but you mentioned Brendan before we uh, broke away on the on the tax uh, side of it on, on on how to you know the question of how to pay for it. Um, for, you know, I, I actually think it's crazy that we you know are so uh, vexed about how to pay for, especially uh, infrastructure spending, something that has a return. You know, on yeah, it. you borrow at zero, and it has a return. Yeah, and, or the private sector would love to fund it too. <laughs> right, you know, so it's uh, so it's really uh, it just drives me crazy that like we have not invested decade after decade because no one wants to do the things to pay for it. And I always yeah. say, like, I don't, I don't know, like, why don't you just borrow the money? We borrow money for consumption. Why don't you borrow money for something that has an economic return? You know, exactly. we borrow money for all kinds of things except infrastructure, the one thing that actually does generate a return. And so it's well, we've, we, we've talked about this before. The, you know, pay for it with corporate tax rates, uh, corporate tax hikes. 
there's an element there of a little bit of, of showmanship, right? You know, the idea of raising corporate taxes is something that the Biden administration wants to do anyway. This is part of their what they see as as correcting some of the excesses of the Trump tax cut. Even Gary Cohn, uh, the former director of the NEC, came out and said that 21 was a little bit low for where they uh, where they think it really could have been the sweet spot. And uh, (laughs) so we're looking more at like 25 percent, something like that, 28 percent potentially. But it looks like with Senator Manchin uh, holding at 25, that may be where we go. Like the idea that this is something that I, I our concept is that marrying it to the infrastructure bill and saying that we're paying for infrastructure with corporate tax hikes is a way to kind of, you know, grease the skids for a corporate tax hike that they were going to do anyway. And in reality, they really don't have, as, as you both said, you know, what, how much is infrastructure really going to cost? And it's going to, so many of these projects are going to pay back and, uh, or be funded in large part by the private sector. Yeah. And it's also going to take eight to 10 years to do these things. So it's not like you have to write the check on day one. Right. So we think that there may be a little bit of gamesmanship going on and sort of linking the tax hikes with infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, putting together, you know, political coalitions to pass legislation. I mean, that's to, to your point. I mean, it's like you don't have to tie corporate tax increases to an infrastructure bill. But uh, to, as you rightly pointed out, John, it's something they do want to do and have wanted to do. Um, tying it to a bill that has a lot of money for states and we're going to reintroduce some, you know, earmarking uh, and money for old people. And for one thing that, you know, my many decades in Washington has have told me is don't bet against, you know, votes for old people. <laughs> right. So uh, and so that's what you have this in here. So it's going to be a very it's going to be very hard not you know, for a lot of members not to vote for this thing. I don't like I don't like it. Right. I mean, I still rather see. Um, I would much rather see, uh, uh, you know, if you have to pay for it, uh, to do it in the traditional ways that we've done and some non-traditional but similar ways, you know, like there, you know, we haven't raised the gas tax in decades, um, you know, so that, that was created for the purpose of funding uh, uh, infrastructure. Um, we know that we're going to be moving to, and you know, part of the infrastructure is investment in things like broadband, like the grid. Uh, we know that we're going to be investing in charging stations uh, around the country. Those are easy places to monetize a fee to pay for infrastructure. There's no reason why you should um, uh, impose a cost on the global operations of a successful American firm because you want to put charging stations in, you know, places that are, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the economics of it don't necessarily uh, make it a logical place to go. Yeah. We, we have a lot of charging stations and they've been funded privately. <laughs> so far. Yeah. And, and we suspect that there are a lot of elements of this infrastructure plan that are going to be funded privately and mm-hmm. it's going to be, you know, public money priming, uh, you know, doing some pump priming. Obviously, some public money is going to be dependent upon for uh, some of the traditional infrastructure project. But, you know, like a, a, how many billion for electric vehicles? Last time I checked, you know, the market is falling all over itself to invest in electric vehicles. So, you know, there yeah. are going to be some pockets of this money that probably are set aside for, you know, they're 
passed under the idea of paying for electric vehicles. But in reality, the you know where the where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And you bring up a gasoline tax, there would be you know giving given the focus on electrification, the gasoline tax is seen by policymakers as something of a wasting asset. And if you put your revenue, you know, you tie your revenue wagon to uh, to the to the carbon, it is an incentive that you want to depress. Uh, you know, taxing something like uh, like gasoline may depress demand for it on the margin and push people into electrification, but it it fights against itself as a long term uh, source of uh, of revenue. No so. doubt, but that's why. But you you but you could put in place. There's no reason why you couldn't have a uh, an electric charging tax. Exactly. Uh, no, t- no, no, no. You know, or, or a, attach a fee to the grid, right? There are all kinds of ways. Like all of these things are already monetized. You know, like the hard part of uh, finding, uh, you know, transportation-related fees is uh, things like, um, you know, the interstate highway system, which are non-tolled, right? And they have lots of expensive things like tunnels and bridges. Also, and they have long-term maintenance um, needs. The, but the, those things are hard to uh, to monetize. Broadband, the grid, like all kinds of ways to monetize those things. Like you know, electronic charging stations, easy, easy. You already pay for them in most cases, right? right. So, like these are e- these are easy things um, uh, to do to essentially have user fees, and you know. Uh, you know, if you want to do that, and you know, and I, I, I take your point on the, you know, on the gas tax, it is a wasting asset. But you know, their, you know, their, uh, their, you know, their view on the corporate taxes is that essentially that it's going to pay back for this entire thing over fifteen years, and then what? We, you know, after you've paid for it and you've penalized American companies, right? You then does it go away after the after fifteen years after you've? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, I think that out? really. You know they're not really paying for it with the, 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 the this this corporate tax hike is going to pay for social security and social payments. I mean our fiscal right. future is really parlous, yeah. and uh, and so the idea that you know this is this is you know going to pay for a, a big infrastructure push and then be rolled off. I think that the long term the long term revenue needs are are squarely in focus. Sort of the other issue with uh, with you know with the corporate tax, not just the rate. Uh, you know, so Biden administration wants to go to twenty eight percent, as you said. I think it's more likely if it goes, uh, if it's successful, it's uh, wherever Joe Manchin wants it, and he seems he's indicating twenty, you know, twenty five percent. The international piece of it. Uh, it's been a long effort to uh, in the United States and 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 uh, and really uh, for most times unique to the United States um, this uh, this uh, interest in getting at the global um, you know the the profits of firms that are uh, that have uh, global operations. No other country does it, uh, you know. And in the 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 2017 uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act (TCJA). They actually, you know, put in a, posi- a, a provision that's way too complex for uh, for this show to go into any depth right now. But uh, a, a a kind of minimum tax that actually has bite that you know U.S. companies are having to pay taxes on their on their foreign corporations, and um, that's why I do get a little frustrated with my friends at the Treasury Department um, and the White House. 
uh, you know, essentially calling these firms tax cheats when they're literally the only countries in the world that are paying taxes on their overseas profits. You know, the company, British companies, French companies, Korean companies, Japanese companies, China companies do not have to pay this. That's why there's, you know, part of the Janet Yellen's, uh, Secretary Yellen's uh, announcement this week was also this part about you know going to the OECD to try to um, um, uh, advance what you know the uh, uh, an ongoing process to try to put in place a global uh, minimum tax, which I think a lot of people would would like to see, and probably a lot of companies, if it's set in the right place, would would not be um, would not uh, uh, object to it. Uh, but the imp- the imp- the implicit message was that if if a country were to go it alone in raising their corporate taxes they're going to be at a disadvantage you know the whole the whole message of this uh, quote unquote race to the bottom that we need all the countries to do it is that you know if one country has higher tax rates they're at a disadvantage you're saying that at the same time you're proposing to unilaterally raise taxes on american companies and and so uh uh, so I think, look, we're going to have this fight over the next few months on this, and you know, I know, I know where I'll be on it if it wasn't wasn't clear. At our, how do you think? Uh, how do you think it ends up playing out? I uh, look. I, I will. I, I think. Um, uh, I, I think we're going to work very, very hard. We at HPS, and uh, you know, to try to. Um, uh, you know, so, you know, point us towards, uh, you know, if there's going to be action on international tax, that it is in fact something that goes through the OECD, that the United States does not unilaterally impose um, uh, these taxes and an, I think an unfair system on American companies. I just think it's a, uh, I know that they're easy political targets, um, but it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's a self-defeating um policy um, if we aren't doing it in lockstep with the rest of the world. Our producer, Mariel, is very persuasive. I'd, I'd make her point person on this one. She's got she's got a full workload already. <laughs> uh, hey, why don't we take uh, why don't we take a last break and come back and, and take a look ahead. Check out HPS Insights, a regular podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, bringing you the latest on policy debates affecting the business and political communities. Available on the HPS podcast channel on your favorite streaming platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Tune in to the latest episodes and learn more at hamiltonplacestrategies.com slash podcast. All right, we're back on the Macrocast. Um, Guys, before we take, take a look ahead to next week, yesterday we got uh, you know initial weekly claims data that was surprising in that it was actually an you know an increase in claims um just a week after we got you know the monster uh payroll data uh you know of a million jobs created um did that surprise you guys and is there something wh- wh- where do you, what do you see in the data there so three weeks ago we surprisingly dropped to the mid it was 650 40,000 uh, people Clay, uh, filed and we had been running at 750 or so and then the the next the the last two weeks we went back kind of to that 750 range which i mean claims are a little quirky and and you know sometimes one big state you know doesn't 
um, report. We also have um, the Easter holiday around it. So you can have seasonal adjustment issues. But I actually think it's somewhat the reality of reopening the economy from a pandemic. It's going to be choppy. We're, while we, we, we had almost a million jobs uh, in March, maybe April's negative. And then maybe May is 5 million, you know? So yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be weird. It's not gonna be like anything we've ever done before. So I, I think you you have to not get too caught up, especially in the jobs, in individual uh, price points, and just kind of focus on the big picture that Friend. people yeah. are getting vaccinated and hopefully companies are are, are reopening. Uh, what do we got next week? Uh, CPI and retail sales in the U.S. are kind of the two big ones. Uh, and then globally, we get a, a large amount of uh, industrial production uh, data points. Uh, so that'll be interesting, especially going back to talking about how countries are, are doing differently on the, um, on the, uh, the, the growth uh, aspect. Uh, industrial production is a good one to watch for that measurement. Yeah, that divergence between the U.S. and EU, it's certainly being played out in the currency markets with the euro weakening pretty considerably so far this year and expectations that, you know, the Eventually, the vaccination distribution will catch up. That restrains this price action to some extent. Uh, but in the near term, the divergence really is going to be pretty stark. And uh, yeah, with Europe going into a variety of different lockdowns yeah, and, uh, and very low uh, distribution of uh, vaccines so far. And also, they're still wrangling with, we talked about it last year, the passage of their 750 billion euro pan-European pandemic relief stimulus package it's still it's still working its way through the process. A German high court just held it up. The ECB officials are coming out and tearing their hair and uh, and pleading for uh, this thing to get through. And maybe, maybe by September, we're going to see something. It's just staggering. Yeah, yeah. Prime Minister Draghi in Italy is pulling forward his bar. He's not waiting around. So he's pulling forward borrowing and doing it. And uh, that's consistent with our the theme that we've talked about, which is the center of gravity of political power in Europe is moving south. And, uh, you know, with Angela Merkel, Chancellor Merkel leaving the political scene and French, you know, political warfare domestically, that is where is the leadership. And really, it's it's the the Draghi Lagarde uh, combo there. Yeah. He also called the Turkey a dictatorship. So he's really taking control. Of your- <laughs> <laughs> he's. Super he's Mario, amazing. he's one of our favorites. He's he the is. Best. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you what. I, I know I'm going to have a good weekend, no matter what happens. I get my second uh, Moderna shot tomorrow, so <laughs> I'm excited about that. Um, have a fantastic weekend. We'll catch you next week on the Macrocast. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. 